0: What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of ESPN Ball and the Real World Podcast. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, on a week where there is some optimism around getting to watch some basketball across Australia. We know it's been a pretty difficult couple of weeks. The NBL got going again the other day. The WNBL is trying to do the same thing. We'll hopefully roll through some basketball action this weekend uh, as the COVID stuff, we'll see, hopefully starts to settle down a little bit across the country. But as far as the NBA action, we've got a very special guest from the NBA, a very popular man in Australia. There's no doubt about that. But shout out to Jock Landau. Shout out to Josh Green. Uh, Josh Giddey, of course, last week, we know he broke the record for the youngest ever triple-double. So the Aussies are getting the job done in the NBA. Joining us now, just touched down in Houston on a road trip. With the Philadelphia 76ers, an athlete that I would say, as far as Australian athletes go, might have as high approval rating as anyone right now. Uh, maybe Patty Mills, his Boomers teammate, might rival rival him a little bit. But bronze medalist with the Boomers in Tokyo, uh, star with the Philadelphia 76ers. Matisse Taibul, what's going on, man?
1: Not much. Happy to be here.
0: So... I set you up before we started recording and I want to get to this first. And I said, look, this is a bit of a weird question for me. Don't feel weird about it, but I I, I have to ask, do you have a girlfriend or a partner? You said no. The reason I I asked that, we had Jock Landau on the show last week. Uh, Mm -hmm. He didn't give us the scoop. He didn't give us the scoop that he was going to propose to to India through the week. Uh, He did that that in New York. And earlier in this season, we had Chase Buford on the show, who's coaching the Sydney Kings now, was with the Milwaukee Bucks organization. He proposed the week after we had him on the show. So I just, had to, <laughs> I, I just had to check that we weren't leading into something here.
1: No, 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 definitely not. But I, I will say that Jock told me after we played him, uh, was it, two days ago? He told me after the game, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to propose tomorrow. I was like,
0: no, no way. Listen, if you're going to do it, I mean, he did it. It was pretty picturesque. New York, the snow on mm-hmm. the deck. It's, to me, mm-hmm. it seems like a pretty impressive way to go about it.
1: He did a good job.
0: So I mentioned the fact that you're in Houston right now. And, and this season, every time we get a chance to speak to someone, it's so weird. There's players coming in and out of the lineup. There's guys in protocol. You yourself just recently have gone through a really strange situation, I would say. We're a second time in a protocol, but it was short-lived. Uh, how would you describe the NBA experience this year? And perhaps in particular, what you've sort of gone through here the last week or so?
1: Yeah. I mean, this last, this last week has been very interesting because. I had, I had COVID a little over a month ago, so I did the whole protocol thing for real. And then, yeah, and then they started testing, I don't know, it's, it's a, it was a whole thing. Recently recovered players weren't supposed to test and then they changed the rules and then I had to test and then I had a false positive. So then they threw me back into COVID protocol and it was just like a lot of alone time, like with me and my plants and my books, just like <laughs> watching basketball on TV
0: okay that was going to be my question and you know first of all we should everyone that goes into protocol we hope that they're healthy and doing well firstly but secondly if you are asymptomatic and you are stuck at home you seem like the guy that has plenty of things that will keep you going but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a fun experience
1: yeah no it's 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 not ideal but like i I definitely i definitely have what it takes to make the most of it like whether it's like at least in this last one because i was pretty aware that i didn't have it i was like putting on disguises and going for bike rides like get some (laughs) exercise like it's hard it's hard to go unnoticed in philly because it's such a sports town and like for whatever reason like people are really good at picking me out of a crowd so i like had all types of elaborate outfits on trying to disguise myself so i could just get a little exercise in
0: i don't think that there's going to be too many local philadelphia residents that will be listening to this show so when we talk about disguises is like uh you know fake glasses fake mustaches what are we, what are we talking about here
1: <laughs> i have like i have these like blue tinted like cycling glasses <laughs> <laughs> and i was wearing like beanies down to here and then i'd have like a a mask that like was pulled up so you couldn't see my face it was just like glasses and like stuff it was like oh this is yeah and like big baggy hoodies, so I look like bigger than I really am. It was just a whole lot. I, it was really quite embarrassing. If anyone would have seen me and knew it was me, I, I yeah, would have been really embarrassed.
0: Yeah, people are like, "Well, this guy's really tall, but an NBA player ain't dressing like that." So that's yeah, obviously- yeah.
1: <laughs> like that it's looks obviously- like Matisse, but he would never do that. <laughs> yeah, have what, you, you actually
0: know. have you actually sat back and thought about this? And I was thinking about this just preparing for this show. This is year three for you in the NBA and you haven't mm-hmm. actually had, I mean, certainly the, the start of the 2019-20 season was pretty regular until it wasn't, but you haven't yeah. had a full, normal NBA experience yet, which is kind of bizarre.
1: Yeah, it's really quite sad, honestly. Like, <laughs> I grew up watching the NBA and knowing the NBA to be this certain way, and now, ever since I've gotten here, it's just like, all started to fall apart. It's It's been interesting, though. I think Like obviously none of it's been ideal, but in terms of change and like keeping you on your toes, it's definitely done that. And like you just kinda gotta roll with the punches and adjust and adapt where you need to.
0: So everyone, yeah, tries to stay positive going through this. I guess for you the question is, is it enjoyable? And and it's not to say that you aren't happy and you get to play on the court, there's crowds back in the arenas, all those types of things, but you already spoke to some of the other uh, extra stuff you have to go through just to play and you're already on the road and perhaps it's not the same experience as what it, it normally would be. Is it? Is it fun? I don't know if that's too simple of a question.
1: No, I get it. It's, it's always fun, getting it, being able to play in any capacity, even when we had no fans in any arenas, it was still fun because like at the end of the day i'm playing the game that i chose to play from a young age because it was fun and i just got lucky enough to get paid to continue to play this game that i play because it's fun so it's always it's always been fun like inconvenient at times yes but like it doesn't take away from my ability to enjoy like getting out there and playing the game
0: so i was reading. Uh, the other day or the other week, whenever the story was, there was a there was a feature about you and and one of the the quotes that that came through, I believe it was from Tobias, and he was talking about routine and perhaps how you prepare for a game. And he said maybe it, it's changed over the time, and you're already smiling, but it, it might be different. It might be different to to some players. And like I said, we had Jock on the podcast last week, and he said some of the best advice he's had is consistency, routine, not changing up too much. How would you say you fit into uh, that? category i guess as an nba player we can we can get into why or what what you do do
1: um yeah I, it's been weird it's it's like had to adjust a whole bunch my my, my routine because like like we were saying the nba has been changing so much like before like last season even in the locker rooms everything was super spread out so like guys to be separated amongst two locker rooms or as opposed to like it's normally one. So like that changed things but I mean, for me, like, I generally have a book, like, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I have a book. I read in my locker. Some days if I'm feeling super artsy, I'll, like, draw, like, terrible photo, pictures on my iPad. Um, And, like, generally, I'll I'll try to find a little bit of time away from everyone just to, like, do a little meditation or just, like, just some, it's hard to find. It's one, one of the interesting things. It's hard to find alone time as an NBA player, especially like on a game day. So that's something I try to squeeze into my my routine when I can.
0: Have people ever tried to change that from you? And I, and I ask that for the reason that there are guys that, and if you, you get the chance to be in the, in a locker room, which I have, you know, fortunately uh, over the years, not so much now, but over the years, and a lot of guys are focused. They might have music, but they'll be getting ready though. And then there are other guys, perhaps like yourself, that like to sit on the other side of the locker room by themselves uh, just spend time to themselves has anyone asked you why or, or tried to change that with you or said that maybe you should be doing spending more time whatever it is more time on the court less l- more focusing on basketball I, I don't know
1: yeah i mean I, it it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways i've had people yeah. think that i'm just not friendly before and i'm <laughs> like well <laughs> right. that's definitely not the case um it yeah i mean the perception of it can be strange but like to a certain degree, anything anyone does before a game is pretty weird. Like if, if like a casual fan was to come into a locker room, I feel like they'd be surprised at everyone's routine, like whether it just some, some guys will just sit there on their phones for two hours and not talk to anyone. Other guys won't shut up. Like I happen to like be in a book and like just avoid people. Cause like, it's overwhelming enough to play in front of 25,000 people like i want to kind of create some space before i like step into that environment and yeah like how people perceive it is one thing but i think to a certain degree if you create it as like a a consistent routine for yourself people accept it for just who you are
0: so i've been uh you know looking at obviously what you're doing on the court but this off-court stuff that you're into whether it's the video and the photography as you mentioned the reading the drawing whatever it be and it's it's so fascinating to me because i am interested in the anxiety of being a professional athlete. Like that is something mm-hmm. that's super fascinating to me because that that's something that resonates with me. I feel like I would be stressed out about the whole situation. You've obviously had these interests for a long time, but it, it does, does it help? Is it is part of the the reason you can do that? Is because you can sort of remove yourself from what you're potentially about to do, or the pressures or the stress of of being a professional athlete?
1: Yeah, it makes it. It it helps me with, like, perspective because I can kind of see – I can – for whatever reason, doing that stuff helps me see the situation for what it is, and it just becomes, like, kind of silly. Like, I can remove the pressure of having to – like, wanting to improve my three-pointers and, like, the pressure of, like, I got to make my next one because I just missed three in a row. Or, like, I'm going out there and I got to guard Kevin Durant and he just scored 45 points last night. Like, I can (laughs) – I can escape some of that stuff by giving myself the space before a game to just exist as a human being in the meat suit. And when I get out there, I can just be in awe of the fact that I'm standing on the court and there's thousands of people looking like not even supporting, cheering, but just like <laughs> looking at me. Like, how often do you ever get seen by thousands of people in a moment? Like that's so interesting. Like I'll even walk down the court. And, like, be thinking in my head, like, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. Just, like, silly things that, like, allow it to feel much more human. Because, like, if, if it was up to just listening to the media or looking at box scores or Instagram and Twitter, like, that would create a lot more pressure I think people are equipped to deal with.
0: So has it been a process for you then? And I, I don't know, I'm trying to recall. I can't remember you being on Shaq and a Fool for like tripping over your own feet or something like that. But, <laughs> but has it been a process for you where it probably started in college or even even younger than that, where you can find a way to be okay with the fact if you don't have a good night, if you have a, a bad experience and then say, okay, well, we're playing a game in, in 24 hours. How has that process been? And where do you think you're, you're at with that?
1: That's, that's actually when I was, I was talking to Jock about that recently. And like even in the Olympics when he, after he announced that he was going to be at the Spurs, that's something we talked about because it's so different from any other league and almost any other sport in the fact that we play, the exception for like, I guess, baseball in the US, like we play every other day. And it's like, you can go out there and just really just have an off night, just really do a terrible job. And it's okay because you, uh, you have another chance to recover. I like, give another chance to redeem yourself. and. Obviously, like, it depends on your situation. Like, I've gotten to a place, luckily enough, that I I have a reputation that allows me to have a bad game or two. And people know what I'm capable of, so I can make up for it. But, yeah, the NBA is – it's weird. Even as a, a team, as an organization, you can accept a handful, a decent amount of bad losses just because it's a wash, because we're going to play – so many more that you can you can make up for it
0: as we sort of move on to the on-court stuff so how is the team dealing with that because i feel like even this year that's even more amplified because it, it, to, to me when i'm looking at the standings or i'm looking at the the results on any given day i'm like well okay well who actually played like uh, i'm sure you aren't i'm sure you aren't thinking this but to me, it's, it's one of the most irrelevant regular season records. And you have to bank wins and you have to put yourself in the right spot. There's no doubt about that. But I just can't take anything away from the standings because there's so many, so many factors that have gone into that. So how is the, how is the team trying to, to navigate that and have that understanding on when you might not have a good night, you might be playing a team that's mostly G League players or call-up players. How are you approaching yeah. it?
1: Yeah. I mean, really, it's about winning the games you're supposed to win. Like, that's a really big deal. It sounds silly. It sounds super simple, but you always have to win the games you're supposed to win. And, like, with that, you can – you have a buffer of having your top three guys out and maybe losing a game, but then also having the opportunity to steal some against teams that are also down. So, I mean, to what you said about it being a somewhat irrelevant regular season, <laughs> like, it's I, – I see it that way in a sense of it's hard to – put a record to a team's talent like you it's hard to to say like oh so and so has this record once the playoffs roll around who knows with like a healthy team if the the NBA I I couldn't even tell you how many I want that would be an interesting stat to know how many full rosters have actually played against each other this season and to see that number would kind of be interesting because yeah teams are learning I think and I'll speak for the Sixers I think that it's helped us Obviously the loss is hurt, but the ability to know how to play with different lineups is something that you don't – teams don't experiment with that stuff because if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. So they just kind of stick to their guns. But this season you haven't had a There's no been no choice. It's like three guys, four guys are out. You got to just go out there and figure it out. And I think in terms of just building a resilient team, that's huge. And I think that will pay dividends down in the uh, long run towards playoffs.
0: So one of the funny parts, and I don't know whether funny is the right word, but one of the interesting parts of this season has been hearing guys say, well, we had player A come into the locker room, everyone's introducing him, next thing he's starting, next thing he's playing 30 minutes. Has there been any situation for you where you're about to get on the court, you're like, okay, I don't even know who this guy is? That's obviously exaggerating the situation, but it is unique, let's say that.
1: You mean in terms of, like, my own teammates or guys I've played against?
0: Yeah, both. I mean, it's it's such a weird – you can put on any NBA game right now and be like, wait a second, who is, who is this guy? Where did he come from? <laughs> there's,
1: there's definitely been moments where, like, I'm in the game and someone gets subbed in. And, like, we run a scout. Like, I know everyone who's yeah. on the court and their tendencies. If somebody will get subbed in, and we're literally running back in transition. I'm looking at the bench, like, at our defensive coach, Dan Burke like, what does he do? Like, trying to mouth like, <laughs> what does he do? And, like, he'll be, like, pantomiming, like, shooter or whatever to me so I can kind of have a feel for what, what I'm dealing with. But then even on, like, your own teammates situation, as a basketball player, fairly aware of, like, the other basketball players floating around in the ether and just whether it's been just from coming up and playing against them or just being a fan of the game and watching them, you have an idea of most guys, but even then you don't know exactly what they bring are going to bring to the table. And at least for us, I think the coaches have done a really good job of putting guys who have had to come in and replace others in a position to succeed. And to, and to all these players credit, they've melded seamlessly with what we're doing. And I think that's one of the most impressive things that's come of this time is like, it's hard enough. Like I've been with this team for three years. I played for Doc, for two, and I still struggle with the plays at times, but these are guys coming into a team with a the playbook they don't know and having to execute it at the highest level possible and to the first like for the most part doing it really well, and like I mean I take my hat off to these guys because they're they're really doing a good job, and for us, like they're helping us win
0: yeah, one of the more interesting situations I've seen, and this has probably happened a number of times, but I was watching the Nets the other day. Langston Galloway is playing for them. The next day, they play the Bucs. He's on the Bucks, playing against the team he was on 48 hours earlier and playing 20 minutes for Milwaukee as yeah. well. And it's like, I I don't know how he knows where to be or what to do, but as you sort of pointed to, I mean, you guys are pros for a reason and, and, and they're doing a really good job. For you specifically, more minutes than you've played per game through your first two seasons. You're at 14 starts now, which I think is, is tied with your rookie season. Again, I don't mm-hmm. know whether it's hard for you to judge your season so far but the opportunities have have been there uh how are you assessing it because i again you look defensively and people look at you and say well you're an elite defender philadelphia's team Mm -hmm. defense has gone down this year but uh, again i I don't know what that means or what you can take from that but how have you assessed it so far
1: yeah i mean in terms of the team defense we lost like the runner-up for defensive player of the year um that that definitely has a lot to do with it i think Someone had said this to me recently. Any other team that loses a player of that caliber falls apart. And for whatever reason, like, we've been able to come together. And I say whatever reason, but it's fairly obvious. We have really talented players. Um, We've been able to come together and still find success in new ways. And whether that's me stepping into a new role or guys just stepping up in the roles that they've been in, it's been a a massive learning experience and it's also shown – uh Like a lot in terms of what guys are capable of, and how much, like even new guys, like how much George has come in and just changed the second unit of our team, and like improved the shooting of, like, it, yeah, it's been fascinating. But in terms of my own, my own situation, it's yeah, just being ready for the moment. Like I don't know, me and Danny have very similar roles, and he started majority of our, the last year and a half, and when it's time for me to step into that role, it's just trying to be as prepared as possible. And the way I determine my success is, I think, a little bit different than most guys. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to if I'm helping the team win. And I've, I feel like I can say, like, as of late, at least with these starts, it's been, I've been able to do that. And I'm really proud of that for myself. And it just makes me excited to see, as like, I get more comfortable playing with different units, um, just what, what more can come of that.
0: So you mentioned Ben and you guys have been asked about Ben 7 million times this year. So I, I want to keep it on court. But for you, when you, you pointed to the fact that you take him away and it's, it's kind of sad how it's been forgotten, okay, this guy's an all-world all defender. Let's not, let's not forget about that. So for you, without him on the floor, and then you put Tyrese, who's had a fantastic season. But, but what changes between those two? And it could be defensive or offensively, stylistically, what they're trying to do. What's, what's the biggest change?
1: I mean, defensively, Ben can guard one to five. And we put him on the other team's best player. And it's like like when you – and then when you have to replace him with a player who's like just physically smaller, like just could not – most human beings cannot do what Ben does or has done just physically because he's such a freak. And so Tyrese has done an amazing job of stepping in and running like a pretty high-powered offense and like being able to juggle like a lot of – like offensive juggernauts and make sure like guys are getting the balls where they need it and we're running the plays that we need to run. And then also just being able to contain his man and not like I, the job that Tyrese Maxey's done this season is like it has been like a world-class effort. And just like as a second year player to go from not really playing and stepping up into the role that he's in now has been truly incredible. And like he's doing the whole protocol thing right now, but when he's back, I'm sure he won't lose a step. And it's like is he's invaluable to the Steam at this point.
0: So on the other end, the the guy who's anchors it all, Joel and it's interesting. I was looking at just looking at lineups this morning. And you've actually already played more minutes on the floor with Joel this season than you did for the entirety of last year. And and obviously there's obviously there's some different lineup data there. You're coming off the bench now, you're starting. So things change a little yeah. bit. But What does he do into whether it's vocally positioning? But when you have a guy behind you, and a lot of times you'll be out on the perimeter, you've got Joel and B behind you. He's a great rim protector, and by the way, just an absolutely massive man. Like there is big guys in the NBA, but then there's guys like Joel and B that if you're up close are just absolutely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, he he is enormous, and honestly, it's so crazy having Joel and Andre Drummond because these are two massive human beings that move effortlessly they move so fast and like it, it really doesn't make sense and so the way that like translates to the defensive end is really fun for guys like me who i get thrown in pick and roll after pick and roll and i was just talking to someone about this there's only when you're on the ball you're kind of at the mercy of the big man like you're big when it comes to a pick and roll because it's it's very rare that you can get through a screen unscathed like <laughs> it's, it's an uncommon so it now it becomes like how is Joel, how is Andre gonna slow down this guard without letting his guy get behind him so I can get back in front and contain the play. And yeah, me and Joe have been like getting a feel for each other and learning how to do it. But it's definitely fun when he's when he's really going on defense. Like it's funny you talk about guys get going on offense, but when, when Joel gets locked in and starts really going on defense, it changes the game because it increases my ability to make plays because he's putting out fires and containing things for me. So now I can take a little bit more risk instead of just trying to all I'm worried about is getting back in front of my guy. Now it's like, I can try and mess with him a little bit and force a turnover.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because I, uh, you we've seen what you can do in one-on-one situations, man to man, but I I would, Yes, and this is just my opinion. You look like someone that, that freelances as well as anyone in the league as well. You like to, you like to see what's going on and, and make your own decisions. Some would say take risks. Is, is there ever a time where the, where the coaches will say, Matisse, that, that, was, that was a bad... Did you kind of have that license? Because not many players do.
1: Yeah, it's... I've had a lot. I mean, I've had to have a lot of talks with the coaches <laughs> and our defensive coach. I guess like it feels like I'm going to the principal's office half the time but really it's like finding that balance of for whatever reason i have this unique skill set that allows me to make interesting plays let's say on defense and trying to find the balance of letting me explore that area of myself while at the same time being a solid consistent defender is is really hard but i i really i actually have a lot of appreciation for our coaching staff because they've let me they've given me enough of a leash to be myself and find what it is that they're looking for from me as well and that's like that's not easy because like, i've made a lot of mistakes i've messed up i've made the wrong <laughs> i've taken the wrong risk or put on taking on too much risk a lot of the time but through letting me play through that it's allowed me to learn when i can and can't do it and like with that being said i still mess it up but it's it's a, it's a game of numbers and as long as I come out on top, it's we're, we're going to be okay.
0: The offensive side of the ball, and you've already touched on this a little bit, and I think everyone wants to simplify it and say, well, let's talk about the three-point shot. But w- where do you see the development of your offensive game? And, and so far this year, because I look at it and say, well, okay, well, you're getting about five or six shots a game. 50% of those are coming from three. So where do you see... And maybe it is for you just the three, but what do you what do you say as as the offensive development as you continue your career and, and find your way?
1: I mean, this year the biggest thing for me personally came from actually playing with the boomers, playing in Tokyo, the whole FIBA situation, which was just learning how to move off the ball better. And it helped playing with like savvy vets like like Patty, Deli, Joe, all these guys, Bainesy, like even honestly, like Nick Kay is one of these guys who I learned a lot from because his game is very unassuming, and at times, like you, you forget he's out there. But he's what I learned from him is he's always in the perfect place, offensively or defensively. But specifically on offense, his ability to space the floor and make cuts, I learned so much, and was that I was able to bring over to the NBA. And like the biggest compliment I've gotten from our coaching staff is my ability to cut like and create it's been fun like I've been learning this is like a new world that's opened up to me on the offensive end and it's like most of it doesn't show up in the box score but I mean I'm no I'm no stranger to that because my game defensively half the time doesn't either and but it's like I've figured out how to make cuts that open up shots for other guys or I'm I can now manipulate the help side defense to give Joel More space to go one on one, and these are the things that. And I'm gonna go on a little tangent here, but like as a kid, you you look up to like these players, and like everyone wants to be in the league, and everyone wants to be a star, but little do they know there's only a handful of those guys who ever get to exist. Like teams aren't built to have multiple of them at the same time. So what are you gonna do if you have to fit into one of those other roles? And that's kind of what I've been trying to learn for myself and. That is how do you complement the best players on the floor and how do you make everyone else better? And through this like newfound world of cutting off the ball, I've, <laughs> I've kind of like created a cool little niche for myself and I found ways to have different levels of success in that area.
0: So, you mentioned a number of guys on the boomers, and it's interesting because this, speaking of my own tangent, this has been a tangent I've been on for a little while. And people always talk about Patty and they say, well, okay, well, what's going to happen? when Kyrie's playing. And I'm like, well, if you watch Patty Mills, he never stops moving. And mm-hmm. 82% of his buckets this year have been assisted. So I'm pretty sure that if you put another superstar on the floor, he's going to be fine. So Patty, yeah. as well as a guard, who obviously can work with the ball in his hands, but is almost, you know, when you think about guys that move without the ball, obviously you think of Steph, number one. Oh, yeah. But Patty, Patty has been a guy that's carved out a decade-long career by virtually doing that.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah he's been he was really fun to play with because it's rare like you said steph curry it's rare that you see players that can be so dominant offensively off the ball like moving away from the action to get back to it and then so it was that honestly i did learn a lot from from patty as well because of his ability like he was so interesting because he would use the way people guarded him because Everyone was so scared of Patty Mills, like, (laughs) don't let him get an open look. So because of that, they would have to guard him. They would go against traditional defensive schemes. And now that opened up new avenues to like exploit what they were doing. So watching how effortlessly he kind of took that and used it against them was really was really interesting, but also like allowed me to to find new ways to play off of him. And he honestly was good about being verbal about it and like being like tease when you see this do that I'll find you like that kind of stuff him and Joe were really really great at that but yeah Patty Patty in the Olympics is on another level but what he's been able to do um, with Brooklyn is awesome and you can see how much you can see if you watch a game you you can see how much Kevin Durant loves playing on the court with Patty because it's just it, it creates an outlet and it just opens up like you talk about players have different levels, like gravity is what we call it at times. Like a Kevin Durant has such a strong gravitational pull of every defender on the court's pulling towards him. But Patty is also such a skill, like such a threat that it, it offloads some of that. And it just, it, it changes a lot for, for guys on, out there.
0: So as a defender, you just kind of hit on something that's always been interesting to me. If you have, if you're playing Brooklyn, let's say, and you've got James Harden, you've got Kevin Durant, you've got Kyrie Irving on the floor, how difficult is it not to be sucked into the ball handler if you're if you're the help defender or, or if you are uh, uh, defending the screen whatever it may be when you talk about gravity how real is that as a defender and how difficult is it to not to not fall into that
1: i mean you're screwed <laughs> <laughs> like simply <laughs> put it's it's so difficult and that's when you have to have individuals who can take on a one-on-one matchup like that but it there there's no with with players like that and when you have that many of them on one team there's like no cut and dry like no black and white way of approaching it it's like you try to force them in situations they wouldn't prefer and then just try to play out of that and that's kind of like you live and die by that it's like just don't let them get to what they want and then you kind of live with the results cuz there's no way you're shutting down all of those options, so it's just, yeah, it's like basically that. It, it sounds simple, but like in practice it, it's like next to impossible. Like, Again, yeah, don't let Katie shoot a pull-up jumper. Sure.
0: Yeah, uh, I think back to the game against Team USA in Tokyo, and you yourself obviously was guarding KD. Uh, I thought Dante Exum was had some incredible individual defensive possessions, and it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, what What mm-hmm. did you learn about Dante? Because you know, unfortunately, we've, if people in Australia have been hoping that he can just get healthy, that he can play. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if you've ever played against him, just because he hasn't. Hasn't really been on the floor, so I, I think the ta- one of the big takeaways from the Olympics was just how damn impressive he was, considering the the little amount right. of basketball he played.
1: Yeah, I actually did play against him once when he was in uh, Cleveland, I think. Okay, and I, I actually think he had a a really good game because <laughs> <laughs> I remember Ben being annoyed, but no, Dante was was very surprising, just because of how and how talented he is, but also he he surprised me in like his ability to guard like especially because you you, i don't think i ever heard anyone talk about his defensive ability but his also like he had a willingness to guard too which most players don't have and yeah he he was it was funny because he was like having to kind of find himself a little bit out there just from having not played in so long so it was really interesting to just see when you watch a talented player try to like you have to reel yourself in a little bit. So watching him just like kind of get back out there and start playing and then have to bring it back and then pick and choose. And it was it was cool to see his like courage in doing that, but also in how humble he was and his ability to make mistakes and then also learn from it. And then like course correct to just be the best he could be for the team out there.
0: Last one I've got on the Boomers is just, uh, is on Gorge. And I'll never tire of asking people about Gorge or their experiences with Gorge. I, I don't know how aware you were of Brian Gorge before <laughs> they you go, you shaking your head. Uh, how long did it take you to realize that this guy is, uh, I, I don't know if different is the right word, but he's intense, inspirational. I don't know how you would describe him.
1: All right, I'll be above. It took about like, I mean, it was funny because in training camp, he wasn't during the first few practices, especially in California. He was very hands-off, so I had no sense of really what he was like, and I think I had missed some of the harder days, luckily. <laughs> um, so I didn't see him really getting into it. But it only took, like, one game to see. Well, one, just how coaching is hard because you, you have to commit to being a certain type of way and then live and die by, like – the faults that come with that and he was so confident in his approach to the game it was effortless to want to follow him and like take his leadership like onto the battlefield if you will and one thing i really appreciated about him was how open and honest he was like one of the first conversations we had after one i think it was like during half halftime of one of our first games in vegas He told me, like, you're not going to get any plays called for you. It's going to be hard for you to find opportunities on offense because of that. But he's like, I need you to want to go and find those opportunities because without that, it's going to be hard for us to succeed. And most coaches, it would be very hard for them to go to a player and tell them that because (laughs) they'd be scared of the reaction. But he owned it, and I was like, Obviously, I, I I know my role, and I'm fairly confident in it, so it didn't faze me too much. But to have a coach believe in me to figure it out was pretty cool. To tell me, like, yo, this isn't going to – it's not going to cater to you, but we still need you to find it was a, a cool challenge for me to take on as a player because now it's like I, I didn't feel like he didn't believe in me. I felt that he definitely believed in me, but it wasn't going to be easy. So I went out there and had to kind of sort it out on my own
0: you've been pretty open about that side of the ball and how you've approached it and some of the things you've learned and you kind of hinted to it, but I feel like for a lot of guys that would be a bit of an an ego hit to to hear that. It's like, why why are you not running plays for me? Is that, is that ever been a challenge for you or you've had to learn to to get to that point? And obviously you're still so young that there probably is going to be evolution, but for right now about maximizing what you can do and what's, what looks you're going to get.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a learning process. Like, yeah, a lot of players, most players, their value comes from, like, their production offensively. And to most guys, to produce offensively, you have to have a play call for you. And it's, yeah, it's been a, it's a, a massive learning experience. I think spending four years in college helped because I got used to this role, and I started to see where the value of that role translated to the NBA. So I kind of like dug my heels into it and was like, this is what, this is what I'm going to take with, like, this is what I'm going to kind of give myself to. And if it works, like it works, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But this is what I'm committing to. Um, but no, I think to have to have it laid out for me so black and white, because I've struggled with it even in the NBA, but ever since Gorge laid it out for me so simply that like it wasn't, because uh, at times it would just be an unspoken thing. And like a lot of players learn their roles through that, where it's just like unspoken, but you kind of see where, what groove you've been put into. And, but to have it just laid out for me and then I can just commit to it in that sense. And to have my, also to have my success celebrated when I do find it for myself, it, it keeps that motivation, keeps that fire burning to want to continue to do it. Cause it's, like I said, it's not, it's not easy to, really hard to get a steal and a dunk like to just buy yourself two <laughs> points easy like that like that's very uncommon so to to have like a, a coach behind me who believed in me and like we haven't even gotten to the team but like to have the players behind me who also believed in me helped massively in me being willing and able to to do that role to the best of my ability.
0: Yeah. I just find that, that really fascinating. Um, there's no doubt about that. And then, so you come back to Philadelphia and Doc Rivers uh, obviously has been there for a couple of years it, when you have that experience and you feel like maybe you've learned something about yourself or can bring something to the table. Is that something that you go and then, and then speak to them or is it just a matter of following on that role and taking on the lessons that you've had? Like, how do you then apply that to the, to the NBA?
1: It, it was interesting. It didn't take much cause it, like I said, my role is like a very go, it, I follow the grain. I go with the flow of the game. So it doesn't, for, for me to take what I learned was pretty effortless. It was cool, though, mm-hmm. to see the reaction of the coaching staff. Because the biggest thing that they said once we got back was like, he's gotten so much better. And I was like, it's funny because most people equate getting better to having an offseason to just train and work on your game. I didn't have any time to do that. I had a chance to take a week off and rest my body. And then I just continued playing for the summer. And that was the most growth I think I've made in my career. But And even then, like we said, it, it doesn't necessarily show up in three-point percentages or whatever. But my value though, that I bring to the team has definitely grown. And the coaches see that. And I think it shows up with just like we were talking about with the cutting and playing more time with Joel and things like that
0: you're not always going to have the opportunity to go to the Olympics every off season, but do you think that yeah. it has changed how you may approach off seasons moving forward or, or other things that you can potentially do?
1: Absolutely. I I mean, everyone's kind of scared and this is one of the cool things that is not a, not the case with the boomers. but guys are scared of playing through the off season and like doing too much because it's your only chance to rest and, A lot of guys come off playing like a hundred game seasons at times. And it's like, you just want to get away from the game. But like you've seen Patty, Joe, Bainsey, Deli do this for ages where they're just putting together these massive years of basketball, just playing game after game after game. And just their season never really ends. And I think that's a testament to why their careers have been so long lived. And they've been able to just be so consistent throughout the time in the NBA. And I'm definitely trying to take a page out of their book in that sense.
0: All right, we better wrap this up. I've taken up uh, a lot of your time here. I said you're on the road, you've just got to your hotel. But before I let you go, I have to ask one more about the off-court stuff. So, as we mentioned earlier, um, you're doing the great YouTube stuff, video stuff. Uh, there, there is Philadelphia. I've seen has been getting into the podcast game with some of the some of the players as yeah. well, which is very entertaining. If people haven't heard that, um, outside of basketball, do you have a do you have a vision for where you want this this content booming content industry to to go for you?
1: I don't it's I struggle with it, actually, like it's really hard for me to decide to make content and like making it's one thing and then putting it out there's another thing because I feel like we're so oversaturated, like guys, like we consume so much. And for me, it's like my creation is an outlet uh, that I, I kind of have discovered that I need in order just for my sanity just to feel as much as myself as possible to feel grounded and yeah that has no that has no end goal that has no like results that i'm aiming for it's just like i get to experience cool things and at times i want to document it in like my own creative way and i mean even this season i've because i don't like showing my life that much anymore because it is very intimate and like revealing and intrusive at times uh i've like tried drawing i'm like an absolutely terrible drawer but just to have i think it's so important for people to have outlets but more importantly creative outlets away from whatever it is that you do for work just to like kind of satisfy the wholeness of you as a as a person and yeah i don't know what that's gonna look like i i get scared to even post on instagram at times just because of the pressure of all of it. So it's it's definitely all like a learning experience for me and it's like constantly evolving.
0: No, I appreciate it, mate. Um, you've been open. It's been super interesting for me to to ask some of these questions. Sometimes I prepare some stuff. I prepared a little bit of stuff and nothing that I prepared, I even asked you. We were, we were just rolling, which which I, I, I appreciate, man. This has been a lot of fun. Like I said, you guys are on the road and to give us uh, this time um, is really cool and we appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. The questions were great, by the way.
0: Ah, there you go we'll make sure we'll uh the the producer leaves that in the show that'll be uh, <laughs> that, that'll be great <laughs> style. Well, thanks again man